0: Welcome, and thanks for once again tuning in to this episode of Sake on Air, the world's podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue surrounding Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. This week, we're digging a classic from out of the cellar. our episode dedicated to exploring the absolute magic of sake that's been crafted to stand the test of time. While it's still a relatively niche category within sake, More and more producers are leaning into clearly communicating the amount of time and in what form their sake spends maturing prior to release, and the wider beverage-loving community is finally starting to take notice. From a production standpoint, there are quite a few tricks of the trade that allow for a wide variety of flavor and style creations. The one quality, however, that just really can't be replicated through any other means is the unique and special character born only through the passage of time so this time around we welcome you to step back in time with us this week joining your hosts marina Gotha, sebastian Lamon, and myself and we'll revisit this episode originally released way back in the spring of 2021 if you're by chance looking to further explore the world of AIDS sake, I also highly encourage you to check out the very special session that we hosted on this very same topic for the Sake Future Summit back in 2020, which you can find over on our YouTube channel. Thanks again for tuning in this week, and we will be back with plenty more sake on air for you here very, very soon. Until then, come bye.
1: The people of Sake actually brought me into Sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza, on the main drag. At
0: first, it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the
1: point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day, 1989. Uh, Not just Sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. So, welcome to this new episode of Sake on Air. (laughs) brought to you is the support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. Usually we record from the Sake and Shochu Information Center, but uh, today we're on Zoom again. And um, it's a great pleasure to have our usual host Justin with us, but today I'm particularly happy to have Marie back on the show to talk to us about i think a, a, a fascinating uh, topic for um, for for the world of sake and uh, something which is really promising it's koshu so good evening to you
2: good evening to you too um, and sebastian thank you for having me on the show it is actually Uh, a great timing because as many of us have uh, we've been i've been spending quite a lot of time indoors thanks to the whole covid pandemonium and i believe as is the latest trend i've been culling my pantry going through some old inventory and what have you and have found a couple of bottles of unopened sake maturing in less than desirable conditions. So
1: wow. <laughs> being able
2: to talk to you guys about it today and definitely learning from your wealth of knowledge and all the you know recent discoveries out there makes me feel less guilty about that. So
1: hey, are, are these bottles older than
2: COVID? They, they precede COVID, yes. So I would say they are PC, probably two PC, two years prior to COVID or so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's another one that's probably uh, slightly older, maybe p- pushing on five years mark, but um, they're nowhere near a antique collectible yet. Perhaps one day. So. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about it and just feel less guilty about my mishandling of deeds. <laughs> <But laughs> you
0: you don't know that you mishandled them. No, we don't. No, no them. we don't. no, we don't.
2: That's the gamble and that's the fun, I guess. So that's where I'm at.
1: So what are we talking about today?
2: What are we talking about today? That we're, that's what we're talking about today.
1: Yeah. I mean... We're talking about koshu. How do we define koshu? I mean, Justin, what's, what's, what's your uh, take on it?
0: Uh, definition of koshu? Um, the ko- definition of koshu is, it's, it's defined by its lack of definition.
1: <laughs> Isn't it?
0: Sadly, yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, koshu literally, um, if you look at the actual characters for it, it literally reads old sake. Um, It doesn't specify the nature of the liquid in the bottle or anything else. All it lets you know is that it was brewed in recent history, possibly quite recent history or much later. And so it's it's rather vague.
1: Yeah, because I mean, there's actually no definition under the tax liquor law or tax liquor, yeah, tax liquor law. Um, I mean, the first definition I saw was uh, what's the, in English, Vintage Sake Association in Japanese. How is it called? Chou uh, Kisei Shu isn't it? Yep. And what they say about Koshu is that the sake has got to have um three years of maturation or existence and no added sugar. I think that's the definition that the association is is proposing but it doesn't help much of it i mean
0: well it's it's the definition that they've that they've proposed and as a result it's been largely adopted Mm. basically just because nobody else has come up with anything else another proposition prior or well until recently since and so it was just sort of became even though the members of that organization are limited to, but I think there's only, there's roughly, say, 50 members of that organization. About two-thirds of them are breweries, some are wholesalers and retailers. But it's clearly not representative of the entire industry. It's representative of, you know, a segment Mm -hmm. of the industry that got together and, you know, um, were able to agree upon a a certain definition. But as you said, it's not... Um, legally defined in any way and so but as a result because that's sort of been adopted that's what a lot of the education or a lot of the communication states that you know the koshu is sake that's been aged for a minimum of of three years Um, but in reality there is no real legal
1: definition I guess you could say yeah because under the definition I mean I can think of many different things Um, I can think of sake that's been um, left over because it was not good, <laughs> and so it's waiting until it gets good or it gets palatable or I can think of um of sake that uh is left there because it was just not sold, so it was good, but for some reason um the clients did did not buy it, so it's 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 been sitting there um but it's not the only only two dimensions I mean clearly uh, amongst these uh fifty or so members of the association, you have kura that have specialized in the production of koshu, of matured or aged sake um and uh, they've been doing that for a, a a number of 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 years now and the the association was created in nineteen eighty five if i if I'm correct, so that's already. 36 years of uh, of, of, of history. Uh, wh- what else can you think of in terms of uh, how, how, how broad it, it can get, how, how how difficult it is to define Koshri?
0: I mean, you touched on an important point and that kind of comes down to intent. The intent of the producer, the intent of the seller, and then the intent of the consumer, right? And when you factor in time, all of a sudden every person along that chain plays a role, intentional or not, right? right. Um, and so the idea of having, let's let's assume that the definition is a, is a minimum of three years and a producer ages a sake for three years, brings it to market and says, this is our, you know, our three year aged koshu, um, then that's sitting at the retailers. Um, as you said, that may or may not sell right away, um, for any number of reasons, um, that retailer might decide to sit on it for even longer because they see a future in whatever's in that bottle. Um, and that would be part of the intent. It may sit on the shelf because there just wasn't, maybe that's a retailer that doesn't have a particularly large client base or market that they can, Bring that, that they can bring that type of product to. Um, it just didn't get prioritized, so it ends up sitting there for four years or five years. That's a possibility. That's, you know, neither the intent of the brewer or the retailer. Um, that being said, it could end up in the hands of a restaurant that, you know, serves it, thinks it's fine, and then sees further potential in it, keeps it open, decides to sit on it for another six months or six years. And they're, you know, at, at that point, they're the last ones who, play a role in that because they're providing it directly, you know, as a service to whoever's dining there. Um, but then you also have, of course, um, the consumer who gets their hands on a bottle of sake um, and they don't drink it for a period of time. You know, is it because they want to let that sit a little bit longer, um, whether that be in their fridge or under their sink or, you know, wherever it is they they keep their, their beverages? Or is it just one that, they got for a present they don't drink a lot of sake and it ends up just sitting for a long time i know my family has an entire collection of those i should probably (laughs) you know i should i should probably dig through those one of those days
1: that's your story mary
2: um similar along the line i would say um i think at least one of the bottles that i discovered in my pantry was um I guess, for the lack of a better word, what you would call a competition sake that came in its own proper wooden box and everything. Um, I must have gotten it as a gift years back and then thought, oh, you know, this is such a nice sake, I must save it for an occasion. And it was just quietly resting, sleeping, being forgotten in the back of my pantry. Um, Now gleefully discovered, but um, I now have this conundrum of should I open them now or should I give them a couple more years or you know what should I do should I even talk about it because I do feel a bit, a bit guilty um will my sake community judge me if I do come <laughs> come out of the Z?
1: that that's a very important point because in in recent years the, the sake market has been really uh toward uh pushing freshness as a core value or quality and um Kaushu is 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 going against that trend um because uh, that's the important word that you mentioned uh, just in this time um time is kind of left out in the equation of of sending um to the market, uh, fresh sake to um, to consumers. Well, it's there, but time has to be as short as possible. Uh, koshi uh, comes as sort of a a new uh, dimension, a new a new a new uh, paradigm in uh, in the world of sake, doesn't it?
2: There's also the you know conversation of how do you define or distinguish between jukuseishu and koshi. I think justin touched on it briefly earlier um but you know we will will i refer to my forgotten age old sake as juku or koshu or are they you know just in a new entirely new category altogether and um we have several vague guidelines um, proposed by individual organizations or opinion leaders but like justin said earlier there is no industry-wide or or legal standard
0: yeah and that's you 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 brought up another important word is that i have the jukseishu, mm. which is right literally matured sake um, whereas koshu the actual the literal translation would be old sake which doesn't sound quite as appealing um, but it's you know a lot of times they say aged sake um jukseishu being matured sake then you can add choki onto the front of that long-term age sake, you know? Um, and it's, and it's, and that's a, that matured or that long-term age, that jukseishu. that's terminology that's been, I think, prevalent for a significant period of time, but it hasn't, as, as far as sort of a nature of a process, but it hasn't been used, at least not prominently until probably relatively recently as a signifier sort of used to indicate the nature of the process that it's undergone say to a consumer mm. um this koshu tends to have or at least it has you know been associated with certain characteristics um, in color in flavor in aroma in overall general profile whereas when you look at jukseishu and um again not all because there's no definition but a lot of places that choose to use the term jukseishu tend to do so with the intent of indicating that it's different from a koshu, right? It has some of those characteristics that you're looking for from aging, but it's not immediately identifiable as something that a lot Mm. of people would characterize as a koshu. Um, So it becomes all of a sudden now you have sort of two terms that are both referring to a sake that has undergone, at least in relation to time, a similar process, um, but an attempt to develop a differentiation um, between those as well. Mm. Um, But again, it's not a, it's,
2: it's not a clear cut divide, there's a lot of overlap, and um, there's a lot of overlap, um, you know, matured sake is a, you know, sake that's had some maturing, but still remains some of its original characters intact. Whereas koshu, um, or age sake, is some, is, you know, sake that's kind of gone through a transformation, if you will, so that the original flavors and, and characteristics are barely noticeable or or not at all there anymore.
0: Hardly resembles its former (laughs)
2: self hardly so i think in in if i were to put you know koshu and juku in a nutshell and have to compare them side to side although they are apples and oranges i would say koshu is you know has is more transformative as um, whereas juku is a bit more evolutionary very good point Um, what justin brought up earlier which i thought was really interesting is the notion of so long-term matured sake coming into circulation in relatively recent years. I wonder if that circles us back to um, Sebastian's point earlier of how aging and old sake for uh, a a very long time have been considered as not so desirable in the Japanese market, at least. You know, we tend to associate the word... ko or furui with not so desirable I think like when it when you say old rice or komai um, you know leftover rice from previous year it's kind of like a discount product um, and on the store shelves and I wonder if chokijuku was sort of like a a producer's way of leewaying around the notion of aged sake without having to use the word ko shu.
1: Yeah, what, what a great transition, actually, because we, I was about to, uh, ask you or, or maybe really remind our listeners about, um, how Koshu or Koshu's history has, uh, evolved over the last uh, centuries. Um, and I wanted to, I mean, there's no harm attracting your attention or uh, your focus on a recent publication. Uh, by Sake Today, the magazine, the English language magazine about sake and sake culture. There was an article by Ayuko Yamaguchi which gives us a number of elements about the history of, of Koshu. And and clearly, in in ancient times, um, I'm talking about Muromachi period or even Ido period, uh, Koshu was around. And, and more than that, Koshu was... Seen as a very valuable sake, at least when well, it was good, I suppose. Um, and you know, there is this all these uh, Japanese or I say Asian uh, notion or perception of 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 certain good and bad years, and three year, five year, nine years koshu or aged sake um, was seen as an extremely valuable product in the market, but then something happened. When the Meiji administration came into power it had to find huge new sources of funds to change Japan, transform its economy, transform its society. Uh, The uh, most, the only actually revenue of the state was the land tax and the administration chose Sake, nihonshu, alcohol, as the new source—I mean, the, the 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 leading source of income for the state coffers. By all means, this this was not new, and uh, at least some Japanese researchers thinks that Japan is one of the country that started taxing alcohol the earliest. I mean, before China, and most definitely. Before Europe. So, very early, sake became a source of income for um, the elite, um, either the imperial house in Heian times or the shogunate in, in Kamakura times. And it's, the shogunate started to um, actually tax koji, uh, koji making rather than sake making because uh, they didn 't want to hear about uh, sake. It was not seen as a good product for uh, for samurais to consume anyway and so the Meiji administration did was to choose a particular avatar of a sake tax, and that avatar is called Kokusei, which means to tax sake as it is produced, and actually what it meant is tax sake as it is pressed from the mash. And um, by choosing such a mechanism to tax uh, sake production, they just discouraged the entire brewing world um, from uh, aging or or maturing sake. I mean, very to be very practical, uh, there were a number of uh, tax inspectors um, touring the country, going uh, from kura to kura. Counting rice bags, counting moromi tanks, and making pericrations, and, and coming back a few months later and asking for money. Um, how many moromi tanks did you do? How many sake bottles did you or sake taru did you produce? And uh, asking for money immediately. So, of course, nobody had interest keeping such sake. And I guess Every producer had an interest just selling yeah. it. Yeah,
0: and we're in ta- the time period you mentioned Meiji, but just to date it, this was the was it like 1870, late seven, or sorry, 1870, late 1870, 1870s, 78,
1: 79. 1868 is the is the Meiji Restoration and the the taxes were introduced progressively. There were different taxes introduced um like royalties, um I mean uh, brewing permits, royalties and then this tobacco Came into force a few years later, and in in 1904, which is a very important date for Japan, because that's the time or that's the year when uh, Japan um, fought, I mean, or won a, a war against against Russia. Uh, sake was, or sake taxes was, the number one contributor to the state budget. So um, At
0: one point, it was making an astronomical proportion of.
1: Yeah, it was funding. about 35, 30, 30 to 35% of the tax, of the tax budget. Um, and the land tax was a little bit behind that. Um, and, and that level was never found back because, of course, as the, uh, of the Japanese industry started to grow, then corporate taxes started to play a, a growing role and then income taxes in, in the state budget. But clearly, uh, that's so kokusei. Um, played a, a very important um, role in the this uh, temporary um, erasing of the koshu culture or mature sake culture in Japan.
0: Right. Well, because it, you know, it was in, instituted in the late 1870s, and then it wasn't abolished until what the 1970s. Is that right?
1: 1970 yeah i think right? yeah, that's the and so, that's that's the time when it completely disappeared right
0: and so if you think you have
1: a 100 year gap
0: where you have you've discouraged producers from holding on to anything and it's not that you technically couldn't but Right. The risk, especially given, I mean, think of the state that just Japan was in at that time as well, too. What Japan's going through in, you know, the early to mid 1900s They had a lot of other trials and a lot of other things on their mind that were probably they were thinking about a little bit more than what is the culture behind aging the sake. And maybe we should sit on this because this could <laughs> this could this could be great for a for a hipster market in yeah. in, you know, fifty years from now. And <laughs> you know, it wasn't that wasn't top priority um and so right
2: i think i that i guess would be a similar sort of s- similar business model too as how many whiskey brewers you know that came up in the recent years have faced um and how they've they've had to find ways of creating revenue through different means in the meantime whilst they wait yeah i want- and so and, and
1: what I find interesting is the reason why certain breweries started to to focus on on kosher again in 1971, and and or in the 1970s. And the driver was not the change in the tax per se, but it's a combination of factors. I mean, 1970s in is the time when the the big brands from um, from from Nada in particular uh, were. Uh, at maybe possibly the peak of their, of their, of their might. And they were, uh, present all over the country, um, pushing their products through all the media. I mean, radio, television, um, and so on and so forth. And, um, it just meant that for, for local brewers, you either had to, uh, produce for these big guys or you had to, create new products and differentiate your sake from what these breweries were offering the market and um, I, I read that's that's how or that's why uh, uh, Daruma Masamune which is uh, one of the famous uh, koshu brands in the Japanese market got into koshu. I guess there was a little bit of, of, of luck involved as well like they just opened an old bottle and it tasted like Mm, really good so they said yeah there's 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 value in in uh, in a sake and and from there they uh redeveloped a a a product uh that had that had disappeared from 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 the shelves and very much with trial and error because there was no no text there was no brewing book about how to how to age sake and and i can that's kind of Explains why it's so difficult to define it today, is because there is no um, standard uh, that that is imposed on the market. Yeah.
0: And when you're when you have something that's essentially been erased for a hundred years, and you know you go and if you go and talk to producers uh, about that time and sort of the approach of the tax office, there you hear s- stories sometimes about the intensity <laughs> and thoroughness um, through which they went you know, checking records and making sure that there weren't, you know, bottles or flasks stashed here and there. I, I, you know, you hear, you know, how to what degree are all these true, but you hear stories rumors of, you know, people, you know, coming in and looking in closets and over, you know, looking under tatami mats and, you know, trying to find the hidden cellar and trying to, you know, do all these things. Cause he said it was essentially funding state activities mm for the most part, for a very long time. So that was a primary revenue service, you know, uh, you know, revenue source for, for the country. And so then when you're gone for a hundred years, that's also gonna impact the type of sake that you make as well too. So a lot of things that people then ask is, you know, what makes a good aged sake? Well, you also have this a hundred year span where all of the technology, all the major technological advances, I mean, you could ar- argue something like say, for example, You know, the development of large, you know, kiyoke or cast making or the process of kimoto style brewing or these certain things um, historically have been very, very significant. But in a very condensed time frame from the 1900, from about 1900 or just after the 1900s up through about the 1970s is just a massive explosion of uh, technological innovation in brewing Mm -hmm that doesn't necessarily take aging or maturation into consideration because it's essentially been erased from, from the market. Nobody's, it. right? Right, exactly. And so nobody's thinking about, you know, what makes a good aged sake? You know, it's not something that people are considering. Um, and so a lot of times now people, a lot of people ask is, you know, what's the recipe for a great aged sake? What's, you know, what types of sake are good for aging when everybody was doing the research on everything else that just kind of got left out of the conversation for the most part right so you lose the brewers lose the ability um, and are not engaging in the process of trying to understand that and at the same time you have a hundred year gap in consumer understanding you know of what an aged sake is so all of a sudden even if it's 19 You know, it's 1980, and you have something from 10 years ago, and you drop it in front of somebody. Chances are, nobody's ever seen a sake of that color with that profile, with that 1980. I mean, this is very recent history, you know. And so, you have to again from scratch, without any, you know, um, without any standards, without any definitions, uh, without any truly thorough research or understanding from. You know, a technical standpoint, um, all of a sudden, presents something that the, that the market has never seen—not just for a handful of years, but for a century or more. You know, and so you're in the process of having to build that from scratch. And one thing that they're really leaning on is this idea that you mentioned. You know, Sebastian earlier is that the idea of an aged sake or a long-term aged sake is something that has been appreciated. You know, historically. Mm. But it's just been something that's been erased from recent history. So we're now we're responsible and for you know kind of creating that again.
2: Absolutely, I think if anything, you know, although there has been recent foray into you know scientific research and studying of koshu, um, namely led by Mr. Ueno and his Tokisaki Association, um, I think we're only kind of scratching at the surface. If you will, of like rediscovering our lost heritage of age sake, because when you, when you take a hundred years into consideration, into context, it's a vast amount of time for, you know, cultural heritage to be handed down or, or technical knowledge and technical heritage to be handed down. So that's probably we're looking at a span of three to four generations of brewers, um, who have kind of been just left out of this, practice and this culture of appreciating age sake um, and it's chicken or egg you know because there is no longer age sake being produced probably the market and the consumers have quickly lost palate for it and it is a misfortune that we have um, been out of touch with this particular category of sake and this particular you know culture that we're only now rediscovering to appreciate.
1: Mary, you, m- you mentioned uh, Weno San. So I mean, maybe just one one word uh, about uh, Weno San. Uh, Nobihiro uh, Weno is a Japanese gentleman who uh, was trained as a bartender and uh, worked for um, a hotel, a New Italian hotel, and then La the Tour d'Argent restaurant there. And I think after introducing Koshu to the french chefs at la tour d'argent he, he really saw the value of uh, a as 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 a drink uh, or maybe he was convinced before that but he just saw that there was a good um feedback or reply from uh, new uh, potential sake consumers and since then i mean he's been the ambassador or one of the most prominent supporters of uh, of Koshu, of H-sake. And so he had a place, he has a place called Shusalon. It was in Shinagawa, now it's in Ginza. And um I actually interviewed uh, Wenosa uh, recently. But going back to something else you said, in 2019, he created... Uh, he was the founder of, of Toki Sake Association. Um, today there are about seven members and he, he will aim at, at growing that, that, uh, that number of, uh, of, of members. And, uh, Toki means, uh, means, means time in Japanese. But I think within Toki, there is this, uh, notion that time is, uh, is, there is something positive about Changes in time, or, or the way time, uh, of the way um, uh, times brings changes, some, something like this. But that's a very Japanese nuance. Um, but I, I wanted to uh, to ask you. I mean, if somebody asks you, what 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 does kushi taste like? What 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 would you answer to that?
0: Let, hold on, let me see. <laughs> 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 This particular one that I'm working on here, hints of almond, mm. raisin.
1: What color is it? Is it still transparent or oh, no, is no, it no. Amber? So we're looking
0: at we're looking at something it's very amber? amber? Very amber in color. Okay. Yeah, and I guess different. So what I'm I just kind of like I got home right before starting this. I just grabbed the most kosho looking bottle um, near near the near the fridge, near the cellar, and and just pulled this along. Um, and this is, this kind of gets back to what we're talking about a little bit earlier. So it's sold as a 10 year Koshu, right? Mm-hmm. um But it was from 2005. So, Whoa. and then I bought it two years ago, two and a half years ago. I um, mean, it's been, and it spent most of its life open. So what is it at this point?
1: <laughs> you yeah.
0: know, um,
1: it's a it's a great example. Yeah. I mean he, he was aged for ten years by the cooler and then aged by the retailer for a while and mm-hmm. then you've been edging yeah. it yourself. I mean yeah. that's, it, that's 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 what's great about exactly. koshu. yeah, and it's and it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun.
0: Um but it's um without a doubt, koshu, um, as opposed to a juxtai shoe. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's got um it's got weight, it's got um, this one isn't, isn't overly sweet. It's got some acidity. Um, it is a Yamaha. It's rather high alcohol. It's about 19%. But yeah, a lot of the characteristics of these more Koshu-esque, um, sounds like I said, this one's got raisin and almond. Uh, you get nuttiness, you get caramel, you get, you get spice in some, uh, you know, almost like, uh, like clove or something like that in, in, in some cases, um,
1: Earthiness, a lot of
0: earthiness. Occasionally, it can be very sweet as well, almost like like plum. Mm. But it's very different from the 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 green apple or the banana or the cantaloupe melon or, or the
2: pineapple you know, and the, mango.
0: Exactly that. Um,
1: I mean, and I, that's that's why I think um, koshu can be easier to understand. Um, for Westerners who, who, who are used to drink fortified wines or, uh, aged wine than for, um, one or two Japanese, I mean, generations of Japanese people who've been mostly used to fresh, uh, sake and, 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 and fragrant sake. Because these characteristics, these aromas that you're describing are the ones we find in, uh, in fortified wines and, and aged wines. I mean, sherry, uh, in the case of, of koshu, it can go as, as far as, as soy sauce from, from, from time to time. Um, I mean, these that, that makes kosher.
2: Yeah, more- um, these are all flavor profiles that, you know, we know exist and appreciate in more Western beverages, namely, like you said, sherry. Um, I think some kosher tastes like port, uh, Madeira, but I've also had the um, pleasure and the fortune of having, like, really delicious dessert koshu, if you will, um, which tastes like noble rot wine um, uh, or, like, a sotern or tokai, like, really concentrated, honeyed, especially if you try, like, aged kijoshu. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful. It's very syrupy, uh, flagrant cinnamon and just kind of honey and it's all that. Gooey, delicious
1: sweetness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you shake your shoulders saying that.
0: Excitement.
1: Yeah, and, and I guess you will agree that it makes Koshu a great companion for, for food. Um, and I mean, a number of our guests have said that before, uh, be it uh, Pablo in Spain or, or, or Xavier in, in, in France. I mean, Koshu is a great companion. And, and, and because it's a great companion for Western food, for cheese, for, for certain types of, uh, of Western preparation, it's, it's, it's a great ambassador for, for sake as well, I think, in uh, outside Japan.
0: Well, with a lot of international cuisine, like I said, there's a lot of profile notes that, like you said, people are used to integrating into the worlds that they're already filled into, into sort of epicurean experiences that they're already you know, familiar with.
1: Something I wanted to touch on is, uh, we, we recently, I mean, we just described what can go really well when you aged a good, um, a good sake. Uh, maybe we should say, uh, a few words about what can go wrong, yeah. <laughs> uh, with, uh, with aged sake. And, um, it might, not become a, 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 product, um, because the, the, the brewery is unlikely to release it, but consumer aging in particular can, uh, can lead to a certain uh, less palatable experiences. So, um, can, can you do vinegar with sake? Or does it turn into vinegar naturally?
0: <laughs> oh, does it, uh, does it turn to vinegar naturally? It's, it,
1: it, it shouldn't. <laughs> I mean unless you you bring the uh microorganisms yeah. responsible for um creating that acetic yeah. acid, and these are not present in sake naturally it 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 should not turn into uh into vinegar however um there are certain aromas or flavors uh, associated with
2: mm,
1: well not properly aged sake i don't know if the right word, but sake that does not age well um and that's that's something you can you can hear about sometimes. It's called a hi ochi, uh, some kind of burnt uh, aromas or mm. yeah. It's
0: um, that evolution of sake over time. There might be a handful of people that that judge that as being you know less than desirable or to have you know some sort of a flaw. Whereas. There might be a segment of the population that actually says, this is really nice. I actually enjoy this or appreciate this. So it's a, it's kind of a tough line to draw in some cases. I mean,
2: speaking in regards to, uh, you know, can A.H. sake go bad? Um, I haven't had success, if you will, in converting sake to vinegar. Uh, <laughs> not um. um not personally, but um, there have been, there certainly have been sake that have had ears under its belt that I was super excited to try. And it just kind of came out less than impressive. You know, where um, for me, the aroma had kind of evaded altogether, making the sake sort of feel a bit flat and just um, mm-hmm. all oxidization, but no real complexity um or or nuances so um there have been sake that have definitely benefited from age, aging and some sake you know because of what the sake originally was or because of a number of different variables like how it was stored the, the duration of which it was stored um that turned out to be less than what the fuzz was about but I guess that's all a, a part of the enjoyment and the fun of trying to play with time, right?
0: Yeah, that's, and I guess maybe it's important, I guess maybe to, to just touch real quick on, I guess another question that comes up a lot is how is sake aged um, when it's mm. done so intentionally? Um, and then you've got two conversations there. There's one's on the producer side and then one's on you know the,
2: the, you know, the, the, the,
0: the- consumer mm. side. I would say in most cases um, sake that is aged with the intent to be then turned into a product sold as koshu, for example, a lot of it tends to be bottle aged or aged in bottle. Usually those big 1.8 liter um, ishobin tends to be the standard maturing tool vessel for that. Um, That being said, there are some places that mature in tank. those cases if they're maturing in tank a lot of times it's going to be ambient temperature not always but in in many cases um but then once you get into bottle maturation it's sort of all across the board it sort of depends on the intent um for a long time it would have been just ambient temperature whereas in the last probably 20 years or so you've been seeing a lot of um, producers investing in refrigeration um and cool storage um and so you in seen places you know mature things in bottle for a year three years five years uh, whatever and it's going to mature very very different at low temperatures a lot of times those temperatures they are maturing at are 10 degrees you know celsius or below um maybe often five degrees and in many cases zero or, or sub-zero temperatures um for in order to um, stall um, that that maturation process. Try to sort of suss out the desire components without letting it just run free, without letting it kind of run wild. Um, and so it's going to be very different um, depending on what they're on the profile that they're going for and the nature of the sake that they're maturing. Um, but then once it falls in the consumer's hands, then it's you know where do I keep my sake or how do I store my sake? Um, and the, kind of the general. I guess the general rule, though, you know, we generally say on the show is, you know, keep it, keep it chill, keep it in the, keep it in the fridge or in the cellar. Um, and if there's not room in there, keep it in at least a cool, dark place, whether that's, you know, a cupboard under the sink or in your closet or whatever. Um, unless, um, you know, you've gotten your hands on something that you've been informed otherwise. And those exist. Um, but, um, yeah, just, I guess just worth noting and worth Considering just that, even though we're saying maturing, you know, the the nature under which it, uh, you know, it's undergoing that that maturation process is really going to change, um, and what the brewer intends on their end um, versus how they want you to experience that is going to be different as well.
1: You you mentioned uh, beans, bottles as the most usual way of maturing yeah. sake, but what else do have we got? We've got tanks, and these are usually steel tanks. Hmm um ceramic jars yeah that's the one i did yeah there are there
0: are a handful of those examples
1: um but coming back to coming back to tanks or 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 barrels i mean there there might be this perception that a lot of sake is aging in 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 wooden barrels but i mean for me that's the exception if 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 it does exist, I mean, we we, I, I definitely see more and more products that has been uh matured for for mm-hmm. a short while in um, in in wooden barrels. But I I, I'm not aware of any long term yeah. aging in uh, in wood. Uh, do you do you have examples? I, do you, have you tried I can't examples? think of any
0: right offhand. There are a lot of products that spend time in barrel or cask, and and it might be a quote unquote. It might be something that's spent three years, five years, eight years maturing, but that time that they're spending in barrel or in cask is more to add nuance as opposed to having that be the dominant or having or trying to use that as a dominant characteristic. So it's maturation time that might have spent five years either in tank um, or in bottle and three months or six months or only nine months in a barrel or a cask. So it's only spent a small fraction of that time. And it's sometimes even less. It might be a matter of weeks. And so it's it's more of a fine-tuning um, tool as opposed to it being a sort of a, a maturation standard, at least at this point. I, I imagine there's, there was probably an exception or two out there where, I don't know, there's a socket that's been sitting in an old, you know, whiskey cask for nine years or
1: something it's probably out there I just get it just doesn't come because it was yeah. someone
2: tried experimenting and forgot it halfway through
1: um yeah, yeah same
2: here <laughs> the number of of sake aged or not originally that have had any barrel contact um that I know of only had a brief relatively brief uh maturing period in in barrels um like Justin said less so as a storage solution, but definitely more so to sort of infuse and impart some of that oakiness um, uh, barrel flavors onto the finished product.
0: One thing that I just kind of wanted to mention, I guess, was that the nature in which a sake matures over time, yes, you can anticipate certain alterations and characteristics and qualities um you know we understand what happens when you leave something with certain you know constituents in it um that being said whether that sake turns good or whether that turns bad it's not linear mm. it's not a yeah. parabola it's not like it goes up it hits a peak and goes down yes um i guess what's important for you to understand is that it is sort of a, a series of ebbs and flows and that um you know a producer might ship something that they intend they you know they say you know this is the point you know after x number of years we think the sake is great um and this is when we want you to enjoy this um a year from that two or three years from that it could be less than ideal right they may maybe sussed out that this is a good time that be it that being said another couple of years down the road it's entirely possible that it may be it might be something different, but really, really exceptional, maybe even better than that initial experience or that, or or what they were originally intended. And then it may sit there for a while, but then it could take a dip, but another couple of years down the road, it could have another peak. Like it's a series. it can, it's entirely possible to have a series of peaks and valleys. Um, so as opposed to, you know, a lot of other, um, you know, fermented Absolutely. beverages and, I mean, and spirits peaks. where there is, I mean, there is the this, idea this of being a
1: search peak. for the peak yeah
0: mm. um, right now it's you know mm. is there going to be one sure in that and in, in those peaks and valleys somewhere in there there's probably going to be a period of time in there that you find to be better but once it crests that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's all downhill um, it could very much over time you know turn into something else and have another Maybe somewhat different, but equally interesting and possibly just as delicious. Um, peak somewhere down the road, and that could be a year or two from that initial peak. It could be seven or eight years from that initial peak. Um, and some, you know, some sakes are going to play with that um, a little bit better. There's a lot of sake that's, you know, two weeks after you open it or whatever, it's just going to go downhill and just plummet, and it's never and it's never coming back. That's entirely, you know, that's that's entirely true. But it's not. Um, the fact that this is a world that hasn't really been fully um, understood and researched is part of what makes it really, really exciting, mm-hmm. as well. I think from from a service standpoint as well. Um, sure, there's a little bit of risk on the consumer side, um, for sure, um, right? If you don't want to you don't want to mess up that bottle you just spent thirty dollars or forty dollars on. It. Um, but say from a service side, as a service professional, the idea that you know, once you've opened something, once you've served something, maybe if you know you're no longer happy with it past a certain point, maybe you can sit on a little bit longer. Or you know, here's something I feel like there could be some promise in. You know, let's get a case and sit on some of these over time and see what these do, because it's entirely likely that you know you'll then be able to offer experiences that can't be duplicated that then can't be duplicated anywhere else. And so you know, from And that's just really, really exciting.
1: Every time I hear the word service about sake, there's a bell ringing in my head um, which says we have to talk about temperature because that's one of the uh, key uh, functions and skills of anyone serving sake. Uh, or at least a, a broad range of sake. So I'm I'm staying away from the more fragrant uh, daiginjo esque uh, type of, uh, of 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 animals or beasts. But um, the the temperature is going to affect the taste of of koshu like any other sake. And, and one of the great um, attractions of koshu is that it can be enjoyed at warm temperature, and it will, um, offer a very different experience to the, to the consumer. I, uh, I want you to talk a little bit about, um, marketing. I mean, uh, Toki Sake Association, uh, is aiming at branding Koshu or creating a brand with Koshu. And actually, Wenosan was saying, maybe we should start in, in Europe, um, and then, brand kosher in Europe, then bring it to Asia. And then in Japan and in the US. Um, the US was was last, but we, we last we discussed last time just in how Nigori was probably the main product for the US market or how at least how successful it was over there. What Wenosan uh, is is trying to do is trying to address a, a challenge uh, the challenge of uh, making koshu popular in a market that wants more and more uh, freshness, more and more fresh sake.
0: In, in that market, you're referring um, to being Japan. You
1: know, yes, in, Japan. Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, what what do you what do you see as the main challenges for, for koshu in Japan?
0: I mean, it's basically what you said, it's just, well, it's kind of what we touched upon earlier, that it's just been absent um from the market for so long is that there's just there's no shared understanding around the value proposition of what's in a, an aged bala sake. it just it just doesn't exist period um and so the challenge that you're saying what they're trying to address is and that ueno-san and some of the um producers that are working with them in Sake, as well as you know a lot of other independent you know, producers um, that are involved in other organizations are just doing their own thing is they're trying to find a way to set precedent for a sake with that has undergone a certain degree of aging, demanding a certain price in a certain context, Mm -hmm. because it just doesn't exist right now. It's all over the place. You've got places that sell, you know, right now, you know, 20 year age koshu for, you know, you can get a ball of 20 year age Koshu for, you know, twenty dollars or something like that in some in some context. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. You don't see as many, much of that today as you did, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, but it's it's still out there. There's it's hard to find even a lot of long term age sake that's been around for 20, 30, 40 years that demands more than a hundred dollar price tag. You know, whether does it does not deserve more than a hundred dollar price tag or not, I don't know. It's not up to it's not up to me to judge that.
1: I don't know if you need any um, external organization or authority to um, to get involved in in that, but what I can what I see is the need for a big change in 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 the culture um, amongst brewers and in the Japanese market uh, in general and that's something we, we discussed uh, in this. Uh, podcast program a few times already is how prices tend to be set in Japan um, and selling price tends to be uh, producing price or production price plus alpha, alpha being the margin of of the brewer. And as soon as you introduce um, a premium for fresh sake, that alpha is basically the, the logistics to get uh, the, the sake to the consumer as quickly as possible. Um, here we're, we're talking about putting a value on, on time. And that's obviously much more, much more complex or or complicated. And, um, I was quite fascinated, um, reading. The report of that auction that took place a couple of years ago, was it? By uh, Kokuryu. I think it was two years ago or so. Or maybe, yeah, maybe, three, maybe three or three years. four years ago, maybe. Yeah. Three years. Yeah, three, maybe 2018 or 19. And Kokuryu had aged a particular set of products of different vintages between uh, 2012 and 2015. And they, gathered their retailers or their, their partners, I would say their business partners, to offer them a tasting of this sake and actually a meal uh, with this sake. And then they asked um, for these partners' bid. So it's it was an auction uh, for the various vintages. And the the results came came out at at pretty high levels, and they had to to raise both quantities and and price and price brackets, and that I I thought that was really clever, and and really innovative as well. It's
2: definitely in the reassuring as well. Like like Justin said earlier, it would be very difficult for any of us to place a an absolute monetary value to an aged sake. And I think when you look at sake as a commodity, I think that's when it departs the realm of food and consumables and it kind of quickly enters the realm of, you know, collectibles and antique because it is no longer, you know, how you define a price for a product is no longer mandated by, the mere ingredients and and the, the production methodologies, but more so, the sentimental and subjective value you dis, you attach to it or you you assign to it. Sure, there is
0: scarcity. Scarcity. Um,
2: yeah, scarcity. and yeah. you know mm-hmm. there is a, to a certain extent. You know the the state of restoration, uh, the the state of um of preservation and. The original ingredients and you know the techniques that went into it sure do play a role, but that's not going to define the the final price tag that it bears. Yeah.
1: and yeah, as we were saying earlier, it's, it's it's a it's a new it's a new segment. It's a new market. I mean, it has been there for a while, but um, maybe with the rise of sake of the Honshu, overseas you know, market um uh, we'll we'll hear more and more about about koshi. i mean I see koshi sections in international sake competitions today um so clearly yeah. there, there will be more and more communication around koshi
0: and that's what and that's what kind of what they're banking on too i think is that the international audience mm-hmm. will um sort of pick up that ball and run with it just because mm-hmm. you know as as we've mentioned before on the show the the Japanese Sake, Nihonshu consuming population it is in decline and has been in decline, and so then from it, within that very finite audience, um, you know, there's only so many people you can convince to spend, you know, more on a bottle of sake in a style that they're not used to. So it's you know, no matter how hard you work, you're you're still up against a, a, a ceiling. You know, you're going to run up against the ceiling at some point. So that. That market has to come from somewhere.
2: That's really a hand they can play. I mean, just even looking at a relatively recent success of Japanese whiskey, you know, no one thought no one gave Japanese whiskey two thoughts before it became ragingly popular elsewhere. And now, you know, even for those of us who live inside of Japan, it's very difficult for us to get our hands on any good Japanese whiskey anymore.
0: Yeah, and that, and that's a good point. I mean, just having a precedent, even though whiskey is you know it's a distilled spirit, it's a completely different beast. But just having precedent, you know, that association could go potentially go a long ways to help. And I guess the other thing with trying to come up with ways to sell, you know, exceptionally you could argue for for most of us, exceptionally high priced um, bottles of sake, you know, in in koshu is that. um, Sebastian, as you mentioned before, a lot of the pricing schemes for uh, sake until relatively recently, um, probably in the last twenty years or so, have basically been production cost plus plus alpha, which is not a lot. It's basically based on what does it cost to make this, plus then what do I need just to get my you know my margin by uh, you know assuming I can sell x number of bottles, um, and they've had trouble layering. It any other additional profitability sort of on top of that. Um, so as a result, there's not a lot of range in the market, um, for a lot of products. Um, it's out there, sure, but it's they there, it's very spotty. Most of it sits in a very narrow range, you know, between say, you know, $8 and $20 a bottle and then anything, you know, $30 and up is, is pretty, is pretty spotty, um, arguably. Um, and so, when you've got an industry that's already sort of struggling financially and you don't have a market that's willing to, you know, it's hard to even up your price, you know, say $2 or $3 a bottle. That's a tough proposition to not just the consumer that's used to spending a certain price, but also to um, your retailer, your distributor, whoever's in the middle for them to be able to, to agree, you know, to, to get on board with that. It's almost in a way easier to sell, and sort of starting to sell all your products for a dollar more or $3 more to sell a small handful of products for $500 more or a $1,000 yeah. more, you know, since you can't get your return on, you know, 98% of your product, get a massive return on <laughs> 2% of your product, you know. Um, and and that's, that's sort of another thing is that it being, it not having a standard sort of gives them, the ability to to move a little bit more freely if they have a partner or a group of partners in which are willing to take part in that experiment with them, or if they're independently willing or able to see that through, you know, and to enter to, to realize that um, in the marketplace for themselves. And it's you know, it's a it's it's wild west, I guess you could say.
1: Mm. Well, we've covered a fair bit of ground. There is obviously more to say about about and and the culture, part.
0: But... yeah, I so said you when you've got your interview with. I would you know I would recommend listeners to go check out the you know the the uh, our interview from sake future summit um, on Age sake. Um, you did your interview with Ueno-san recently. We're sitting on some other material that we can hopefully um, transform into something in the near future in, in some form or another.
2: Maybe we should, we should age can... your recording.
0: There we go. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> that's, 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 that's a great We <laughs> should just not release this. And then after the show is yeah. long done and gone, we'll release this in what, like yeah. the year 2052. And <laughs> people wonder what the, what the hell it was we were talking about.
1: <laughs> that looks like
0: a, plan. Kind of a kind of a time yeah. capsule.
2: Yeah, we could auction mm. this off for a mm. million dollars. That's it. Yeah. That's but, it.
0: But the I unreleased that's, that's coaching episode of the highest bidder.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Like a non fungible token.
0: There we, there we go. Oh, oh, there we go. Look at
2: my finance hat. That's, oh are you man,
0: Marie, you're in the zeitgeist. It's on. Let's do it. It's let's do it. Let's fund another let's fund another eight years of production here at Sake on Air. Done. Excellent. Done. Perfect. I think that's a, I think that's a good place to uh to call it good for this evening.
2: Yeah, I think the past let's, let's,
0: we, we've settled on our financial model.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Get with the times right. Okay.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Well I think what's very valuable is to have you on the show, Mary. So um, hopefully uh, I mean it was a real pleasure to have you tonight. We uh, miss Please you. To talk about too bit about Koshu. We, we we miss you. So Thank you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, next uh, to the next episodes where we can you we can get you um, behind the microphone or behind your iphone and it's been a, a real pleasure to, to talk about koshu with 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 you Absolutely. today so sure mine thank, thank you, you, you nice. so
2: much for having me back on um it's been good to catch up with you guys and definitely talk about all the amazing potentials you know that we have Yet, un- yet to cover, yet to uncover in in the world of koshu, um, yeah, I feel less guilty about the three bottles I found in my pantry now.
0: You could be sitting on some some treasure, some real gems there. So, mm-hmm. you you let us know when you're going to crack those. We'll we'll we'll, we'll all
2: yeah, we'll definitely that. open will Take
0: part in that experiment.
1: That's a good plan.
0: Yeah. Um, Sebastian Marie, thank you so much. Um, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Sake on Air. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, feelings, you can send those to us at questions at sakeonair.com. Follow along with us at, at sake on air on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And if you'd be so kind to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever it is you're listening to, it will help us a great deal and it will help other sake or future sake fans uh, discover the show so that would be greatly appreciated the show is brought to you with the support of the japan sake and shochu makers association and recorded usually from the japan sake and shochu information center in the heart of tokyo the show is a co-production between export japan and posuke productions with audio magic by mr frank walter that will do it for another episode of sake on Air. Kampai.
2: Kampai. Kampai.